Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name's Jeremy. We are here today to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 270, the November 1990 issue on sale September 4th, 1990. It's cover price of a dollar. This one's called First Strike. It's part one of Extinction Agenda. We made it. Whoa, it's the 90s, and I've got my glass of Sharkleberry Finn and a whole bunch of Doritos, and I'm I'm ready to read Extinction Agenda all night. I feel like Doritos are timeless. Whoa. <laughs> they, they became extreme in the 90s, though, synonymous with, like... Did they? I don't know. I thought they became extreme, like, now. I know they... Oh, they've they always been extreme, but I feel like they started their extremeness in the 90s. Uh, Are the extreme ones just mean they're like super hot? Well, in the 90s, just like nacho and ranch, cool ranch, those were those were extreme. Now, yeah. now They just now put you've got extreme the... on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't because I don't think extreme was extreme yet. So it was all pre-extreme. Huh. Yeah. Well, this isn't the extreme agenda. And, and do you remember, oh my gosh, this just popped into my mind. Do you remember the, I think they were called like Pepsi cool cans. That's probably not quite right. Pepsi ran a series of cans where it was all these like, like pastel prints of, of, uh, like people in swimsuits, but it was like three colors, uh, uh, but then like mirror shades and then like tropical backgrounds and like, that was it. And it was a big thing. Nope. I'm going to Google it. Pepsi cool cans. I think that's what it was called. I remember crystal Pepsi. I remember various Coca-Cola Christmas cans where they have santa claus on the can um i remember the diet coke uh variants that came out a couple years ago yeah pepsi cool cans is not a thing (laughs) but the thing that nowadays is the the little cans that you can like they're just like they're they're little they're like the size yeah slightly large taller than a credit card like eight ounces yeah those are the perfect amount Actually, half of that would be the perfect amount because usually by the time I'm done with it, I'm like, Ugh. So I did find vintage Pepsi promotional cans, and the can that I'm thinking of was a woman's face with mirror sunglasses, and in the mirror it says Pepsi, and there's like big red lips. That sounds vaguely familiar. It was like, well, when you're a kid, you know, summer lasts so much longer than it does when you're an adult that for me, it seemed to go on and on and on and on. But I guess if I was an adult back then, it would have been like one week they're here and one week they're gone. Yeah, maybe. But uh, yeah, and my my recollection is that they were around for a little bit longer than Crystal Pepsi. Was that a thing that we would have gotten up in upstate New York? I don't know. Because uh, we're definitely not a test market up there. <laughs> well, I was living in Wisconsin, which also is not a test market. So I'm going to guess that, yes, it had probably reached uh, mass distribution. Is Milwaukee a test market, though? It might be close enough to count. Yeah, I Chicago feel like yeah, I feel like Chicago would get something before Milwaukee would. But maybe. I, or Minnesota. Great. When I lived in Chicago, we'd always get the test market things. And I'd always get addicted to them. And then they would not become things and i'd be sad then they'd be gone so yeah we're we're gonna uh, what else was popular oh listening to nirvana oh, reading some x-men feeling persecuted <laughs> man it's, it's good times good times about to happen adam i'm i'm looking at uh the 
probably one of many, but Extinction Agenda uh, trade paperback, although mine's hardbound. So is that a trade hardbound back? I think they're just called hardcovers. Okay. I'm looking at my hardcover. Trade paperbacks and hardcovers. Yeah. And my hardcover has, which is kind of cool. When I first bought this, it was kind of a funny, uh, Adam, do you have time for a story? (laughs) I sure do. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. Funny you should ask. (laughs) So... Many years ago, uh, let's say ten. Wait, I didn't know. I didn't know it was, this was going to be that kind of a story. <laughs> I was at a volleyball tournament, and somehow, I uh, got into a conversation with a person who was also an X Men fan. I don't know how my table's conversation got the attention of his table, but but then he and I just kind of like started talking about X-Men for a while, which is kind of fun to do, uh, especially like sort of, you know, pre like all the movies and stuff. So actually it might've been like 15 years ago. In any event, um, we got into like the topic of extinction agenda and we'd been drinking and stuff. I was like, man, what even was extinction agenda about? And he's like, Oh, nobody knows. And I was like, Oh, cool, man. (laughs) Which really isn't the case, but it was kind of a a funny back and forth. So fast forward five or six years and I'm cruising through my uh, used bookstore and I come across these hardbounds, these hardbacks, uh, X-Men books, uh, Extinction Agenda and Executioner's Song. And they're like 10 bucks a piece. And they're like, you know, they're they're, a good deal. Yeah. These are like high quality. I, uh, look, forty nine ninety nine is what this thing says it retailed for, and I feel like in today's money, this thing would probably go for you know sixty nine ninety nine. But anyways, uh, I bought it and then I read it, and and what comes at the beginning of uh, the hardbound is the original X Men adventure where they uh, meet the Genotians. Spoilers: Extinction Agenda is about the Genotians, and. Uh, Having not read any of this story in many years, I definitely appreciated reading uh, X Men two thirty five and you know all the stories that sort of led up to um, Extinction Agenda in this collection. Um, and then I read Extinction Agenda and I was like, "Hey, I know what this is about, and I kind of like it." Now on this reread, I'll be a little bit more nitpickier. So what version of the hardbound book are you reading from? Uh, well, I, I read it from the same hardcover that you have, it sounds like. Um, but right now I'm just reading it from Marvel Unlimited on the iPad. Ah, okay. I have both in front of me. So I, I might, if the glare from my light on this book drives me too crazy, I might have to switch over to the iPad. But I'm going to recommend this, Adam, if, if uh, our listeners can find a copy of Extinction Agenda at their local used bookstore in really good condition for 10 bucks, they should totally buy it. I definitely paid more than that for my copy. I think I, if I'm lucky, I got it for like 50 or 60% off, but that's still far more than you paid for it. And not only that, like I bought Executioner's Song and I tried reading that and I was like, I'm not going to read this. Oh, that'll be fun when we get to it. <laughs> I'll have it. Um, I, I think I've read like the first couple of issues. Couldn't tell you what they're about. I know there's a bunch of bonus material stuff in there, so it'll all be a surprise to me. That one I read when it came out. So I have all the individual issues, but I also have the hardcover as well that I also paid more money than you. So <laughs> did you did you not read this when it was coming out? Were you not an X-Men collector at this time? No, in fact, my first issue of X-Men that I own is 271, the mm. next issue, and I bought it 
after it had come out, and I think I was with you. Probably. Um, and we were at the Norwood Hobby Shop, and they were on sale for like a buck. Yeah. And I feel like they were, they were fairly. I think at that point, two eighty one was out or something, or the oh. X Men number one was probably out. So I, by that time, I was all in. I feel like you and I would go to the Norwood Comic Books shop, and I think I bought. X-Men comics and you bought Ghost Rider comics for a while and then we yeah. just started buying pretty much all the same things for an even longer while. So I feel like I was buying this as it came out. But as I've mentioned before, I, I'm missing in my collection either the second to last chapter or the last chapter. So I never was able. Maybe that's why when I had the conversation with that guy, I was like, nobody even knows what Extinction Agenda is about. It's because I literally had no idea how it ended. You have all? Do you have all the X Men issues, but not all the New Mutants and X Factor issues? Right. Okay. Yeah, and I was buying, you know, it's, it's you know this crossover thing. So I was buying them, but somehow I missed that last issue, and then I didn't buy it, didn't care. I don't know what the case. I don't know what the deal was. I was definitely picking up Wolverine at this time, so it's kind of weird that I wasn't getting X Men because we're in. Oh no! You know what? I think. I had a subscription to Wolverine, so oh. I was receiving it in the mail. All of that, that doesn't explain why I wouldn't be buying X-Men. I don't know. And the other uh, thing that I recall about reading this story was it was definitely uh, read it, bag it, and then never look at it again, I guess. Because <laughs> as I reread this 10, 15 years ago, whenever I picked up this hardbound, hardback, uh, I was like, man, this is I don't remember any of this. <laughs> So really, yeah, not much I of it. I mean, I remember two seventy two. I remember I because re, I feel like I reread that a lot. Well, if it was your f- first X Men issue, that would make sense. Well, two seventy one is my my first. Two seventy two, I think, was just my favorite, and I just kept. I don't know. It was like the pinnacle of this. It was it was the most exciting part of this thing that I remember. Okay, and I and I just read, I guess, issue part four and part five, six, seven. So I didn't know what was going on until I picked up the trade paperback many years later that had the extra pages that we talked about a couple times on the podcast. And then I gave that away. And then now I have the hardcover, which also features those extra pages, but added at the end. Mm -hmm. So this will be fun. Uh, Strap in everybody. It's time to, it's time to go back and extinct your agenda. (laughs) That's how that goes, isn't it? I don't like this cover. Oh, really? There's things that I like about it. Like I like the storm. I like the upper body of Alex. I don't like Alex's legs. And I just noticed Boom Boom's there. That's all right. I did not. I've never noticed that Warlock is in it. It's not a good colored Warlock. I also feel like this might be Jim Lee's first time drawing Warlock, so he's not doing things that a normal warlock artist would do like he should his arm should be like all splayed out and he should just be all f- far more contorted than he is but it's also uh terribly colored and i also really hate the machines that are behind alex yeah they're they have they have sacks and i don't like that <laughs> and i know that the, the in the comic there's a reason they have sacks they're actually wheels yeah but Still, it just looks gross. I mean, if you wouldn't have said anything, that I would have <laughs> never drawn that 
that same conclusion. But I guess now that I, I see it, I can never unsee it. And the thing that's worse is that they've got these giant gun turrets just above the wheel. So now it's just it's just a robotic penis with yeah, legs. Yeah, you know what, it, what triggers that, I think, is like I watched Pink Floyd's The Wall so many uh, times where you've got mm-hmm. that, that walking anus guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks just like this except kind of the reverse. So yeah, this is, this is not, uh, this is not appealing to me whatsoever. Yeah. Now that I, you know, I keep looking at it. If you just put like a torso on this, you, you've got like, you've got a sex doll that's walking around. That's <laughs> all you've got. Wow. That, I don't know. Whoever designed these, man, you really didn't think about what you were doing. And I think there's even some sketches in the background where they're like, look at this cool vehicle I just made. And I wonder if when they designed this particular vehicle, if they're like, we're going to have a toy line or if somebody just really wanted to draw a vehicle. I don't think so. I mean, at the, at this point there was no X-Men cartoon, right? So there was no kind of toy lines. True. 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 Well, anyways, uh, yeah, I have Alex's legs. Also, I don't like it's like the one, the, the right leg is all right. The left leg is doing some sort of weird contortion things where it's trying to fit under Storm's butt. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a perspective thing. It just looks stupid. I don't. Because if you if you look at the belt, like the little belt buckle around his legs, so I guess it's like a like a shin buckle. Mm-hmm. In the mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the left leg, the shin buckle is raised up, so it, it's like his foot is in the air, mm-hmm. and it's really just throwing me off. Yeah. Uh, I've never really looked at this cover uh as thoroughly as you have um Adam. well i well you were telling your stories <laughs> you I got so bored of, you tuned out no 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 you, it's not that it's just like it's, it's sitting right here in front of me and i'm just kind of like noticing these details about it also like storm's uh wrist is very tiny well she's a little girl i guess uh all that being said adam if uh if this was on a T-shirt, minus I think the background, I'd, I'd buy it. You'd have to explain the penis robots. No, <laughs> uh, it's not even really because it's just because it's like a, a pink and purple background. It's all washed out. Like I would want this image on a black T-shirt. If it was just Havoc and Storm and maybe Boom Boom, I'd I'd I'd, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, and the X-Men, where he's like shooting upwards. Yeah, yep, that's what I'm I'm talking about. Uh, so let's open this thing up. Uh, it is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Jim Lee, Art Thibert, and Scott Williams. T-Bear? Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it, or are you just being fun? I believe that is actually how you pronounce it, and it's, I don't know why I know that. That's fine. It's it's far better than the pronunciation I gave it. Uh, Art T-Bear and Scott Williams are the Inkers, Task Force X, Letterers. What the hell? Oh, whatever that means. It's probably that uh, homage studios again. Oh, maybe. Glenn, oh, that was that was like Inker's last time. Oh, well. Uh, yeah. Glennis Oliver is the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. So I guess that means there's more than one letterer, maybe? It's Task Force X. Maybe maybe Task Force X is like five people, and they're they're busily lettering all of the Extinction Agenda books all at the same time. There's like a tag team. Yeah. All right, I'm done. You you continue where I left off. Because this is kind of like the first feel, in, at least in the X universe. I don't know if other comics have done it, but this is the first sort of like through line between all the comics because even Inferno, which had 
uh, crossovers and tie-ins, um, they weren't necessarily back to back to back to back to back like this is. So maybe, yeah, maybe they've got a crazy schedule and they want to make sure that everything's released on time and in order. So the lettering team is like, oh, you're killing us. And they're like, well, bring in your task force. And they're like, all right. <laughs> Can we get this right for once? <laughs> so we get introduced to our cast of characters, actually quite a few characters, all of the characters almost. But on the X-Men, uh, we've got Gambit, Banshee, Forge, Storm, and Marvel Girl. Uh, spoilers, I don't think Gambit says anything in this issue, does he? He might say something like, <laughs> like Storm, <laughs> and that's it. I don't, I don't know. We've got uh, Trish Tilby and some field reporter. They're talking about uh, Genosians uh, on, on U.S. soil, and they're a sovereign nation, uh, and they want the X-Men because they've committed acts of aggression. With the Genosian government refusing to back down from its stated policy of taking whatever steps prove necessary to bring so-called mutant terrorists to justice, what those actions may be, the Genosians will not say. This is Trish Chilby, ready to go on vacation. She does say, All attempts to contact the mutant team X-Factor for their view of this developing situation have likewise prov- uh, proved fruitless. Because uh, remember, X-Factor is sort of like riding this fine line of like New York darling superheroes to, I think, mm-hmm. more and more coming outlaws. Yeah, well, that's about to end. Yeah. Uh, so, so this takes place before the episode, like we did a, we, we saw the thing where Beast was jealous because Trish Tilby wanted to go on vacation or whatever. Yeah. This takes place before that. Uh, was that this, this newscast? Was that in the pages of X Factor? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Probably the last issue of X Factor. Okay. And I know this because it says so in the next issue of X Factor. Oh, and then we get introduced to the New Mutants. Boom, boom. Cannonball, Sunspot, Cable, Warlock, Wolfsbane, and Richter, who I've got questions, Adam. Weren't they just in Madripoor? They got back. Okay. Why did they go to Madripoor? Didn't they go to Madripoor to find Wolverine? No, they met Wolverine in Madripoor. They went to uh, Madripoor because they probably thought that's where Richter, uh, or Skids and... and uh, oh, that's right. What's his face, sir? Rusty and Skids, yep. Rusty and Skids, and then they ended up doing some sort of drug plot where they stopped strife. Um, basically, uh, none of that really happened. <laughs> and more importantly, where is Cable's hover bike? Did he leave it in Madripoor? <laughs> Probably. Maybe, oh. maybe he rented it from the hover bike store. <laughs> so we get this awesome page and a half splash. It's a reunion between Storm and, and Marvel Girl. Because remember, way back when they were they were friends, they were friendly they were roommates t- at some point. Yeah, yeah, uh, and so they haven't seen each other since, uh, technically, since Gene crashed the space shuttle into Jamaica Bay. Oh yeah, it's been a while. I'm betting she's going to complain about Maddie Pryor. <laughs> she does. Uh, this is Extinction Agenda first strike, and uh, Storm is is young. Um, I would like to spend just a moment complaining about her hair. I don't like it. What's wrong with it? It's she got bangs. Up and a ponytail. Yeah, no, the ponytail's great. Ponytail's fine. I'm just not a huge fan of the bangs. And when Rob Liefeld gets a hold of her, it, he makes it like a full-on mullet where the top's all short and the back is long. 
Well, we don't have to put up with this for too much longer. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so they're facing off against each other in the danger room. And uh, the point of this exercise is to figure out uh, Storm's a child with sort of child uh, matured abilities, but an adult intellect. Do I have that right? I think I have that right. Yes. And uh, they're trying to trying to push her to the limit to see if if the mind and the body are balanced or or if they're um, uh, out of out of alignment. Well, Storm's purpose for this, I think it gets mentioned on the second page, is that she just wants to know if she can still lead the X-Men team. Yes. So multiple purposes happening here. So they think that Jean's got a leg up on her. Um, With what, what is this, Taffy? What's going on here? Yes. I don't know. Where did Jean that... get this stuff? And what is it? Is it part of the danger room? I don't know. I guess I didn't really pay attention to it. So they're fighting in the air. Jean hits Storm. She falls to the ground, lands on the ground. And then Jean starts wrapping Storm up in what looks like taffy or pink bubble gum. I'm going to go with metal bits of the floor, even though okay. she's not Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the control room, they're like, look. Oh, they're also testing Jean, too, it seems like. I don't know. I don't know why they would need to test Jean. I guess she's been through a lot. <laughs> sure. I, it is exactly the... a fair fight, Banshee, a grown-up against a kid. That's the point of the... Uh, 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 aye, but that's the purpose of the exercise forge, to evaluate an extent and capabilities of Storm's powers. Physiologically, she's barely an adolescent, her mutant talents in its initial manifestation. So Jean's like, all right, I win, and... uh Storm's been making it rain this whole time, uh, and then she freezes the air around, and all of the rain turns into ice, which Storm is then used, able to use some wind to blow her off uh, balance, and she slips. Wave goodbye, Jean, and happy landings. Whoa! <laughs> we get uh, pointed out here that uh, the disadvantage of telekinesis is that you need to focus your concentration to use it. I no longer intend to allow you that opportunity. Very storm-like. And she is out of the pink tape. Yes. Just like that. Yeah, you know, she needed her concentration to keep the pink tape on her. And Jean falling is wicked tall. There's a lot of wicked tall people and really long <laughs> legs in... The 90s. In the 90s, the Jim Lee joint. Yeah. Uh, credits do where credits do forge. That which nanny may have regressed Storm's body to childhood. But mentally, she's lost none of her skill or intelligence. And I suspect she's grown a whole lot sneakier. That's because of Gambit. <laughs> That's right. Who didn't say that because he's not here right now for some reason. But, no. you, but do you know who is? Steve, yeah, I, Stevie I Hunter. name. Stevie Hunter, yeah, she was on the previous page. We forgot to mention her, but uh, yeah, she's there for some reason. And and the uh, the editorial box says we last saw her in Ohm. Even we can't remember. And if I was to challenge myself, and I'm not really going to look it up, I want to say the last time we saw her. Hmm. I feel like the last time we saw her was in um, the uh, what's the 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 giant size graphic novel thing? God loves man kills. Yeah. I think we saw her after that. It's got to be more recent than that. It's got to be in like in, the 200s, like early 200s. You probably was I'm gonna there. I'm going to say 195. Okay, I'll go with that. I don't know why, <laughs> but I, I feel like two, uh, after 200 was the trio of Magneto, yep. Magneto and uh, I, I, I feel like we didn't ever saw her after that. 
Uh, yeah, after the trial of Magneto, they they go to San Francisco for a while, and then they're underground. And so I feel like Stevie Hunter is not there after 199. So I like your your 194, 195 guess. I think 195 was a um, uh, Secret Wars tie-in. Oh, yeah. So probably before that, then. <laughs> 189. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> it's official. Anyways, she's here. And she's she's laying a bunch of uh, unvalidated science down on everybody, uh, as you yourself said, Banshee. Physically, she's a younger, she's a youngster. Her body's still growing. Too much of the wrong kind of stress, like pushing her elemental powers beyond their limit, could cause permanent energy. I guess. Yeah. Yep. But Richter, he uh, he barges in. He's like, "Um, this is Richter requesting access to the danger room." We're running an evaluation sequence, lad. I'm sorry, but you'll have to wait. Well, I mean, it's our only our house. I'm going <laughs> to pout out here with my really long legs and my headband. Storm and Jean continue to fight. And for some reason, Stevie Hunter knows this is too much power. She's spinning Jean too fast. I know all about how Storm's powers work, especially now that she's a kid. Her body hasn't the resources to handle that kind of load. I've done intensive studies to know this. She's losing control. Adam, Stevie Hunter has been living in the X-Men's basement ever since it was exploded. She's had nothing but time to read the files. Storm has been back for like a day. (laughs) Stevie Hunter didn't even know that she was a child until like a day ago. You know what? She was so bored that she ran simulations on all of the (laughs) X-Men if they were regressed into childhood. True true story. She does say, trust me, Sean, uh, Professor Xavier made me responsible for the physical conditioning of his students. I know when they've pushed themselves past the point of exhaustion, look, she's falling. <laughs> so so that's that's her whole, like, she's studied these X-Men so well that she just knows that if Storm were ever transformed into a child, that this would be the limitation of her powers. I, yeah. She's not, not wrong, so... Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I think it's it's an interesting choice um, to bring Stevie Hunter into the story. I mean, I don't have a problem with it one way or the other, but it's. I don't know if it was Chris Claremont being like, you know, who we haven't seen in a while, <laughs> Stevie <laughs> and Hunter. Who we aren't going to see again for a while. Yeah, I don't. I don't really remember her popping in uh, much after this, but um, it's good to see it. Good to see a familiar face. It's true. Honestly, I didn't remember who she was at first until they said Stevie Hunter. And then I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah her. what happened to her? She, she has a new hairdo. I don't think she quite had these glasses last time around. So well, you know. It's the 90s. She she went from her like 80s, like really tight, tight rolled hair to now it's kind of like, I don't know, um, uh, Whitney Houston-ish. Oh, yeah. It's, it's yep, late, late 80s sort of style. Yeah. I mean, we keep saying the 90s, but really what we're dealing with is the late 80s. Well, uh, late, like 1989 to 1997 to me are, are like prime 90s. Even though I know one of them is not technically in the 90s. She next appears in the next issue of <laughs> Extinction Agenda. Sure. And then after that, she doesn't appear again until 277. Oh, interesting. That's not that far away, though. No, it's not. It's close to the uh, end of Claremont's run, though, so I wonder, will she be used by other people? Jim. In the uh, in the back matter parts of the uh, story where we get to see uh, the additional pages, mm-hmm. um, what happens is that uh, the New Mutants wind to Cable that 
the X-Men wouldn't let them use the danger room. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole page that's added. Who do they think we are? Yeah, it's it's dumb. And it, it's... Uh, actually, it's not dumb. It, it works pretty well if you're not paying attention to the art. But if you are paying attention to the art, it is very drastically different. Yes. But, you know, they didn't know what to do with... Uh, those double sized spreads back in the day and they didn't figure out until I guess the hardcover releases that it was okay to just have a black entirely black page or red page or whatever color page they do just to offset everything oh I'm it all I get it now these so there are there I was going to ask so, so in the trade paperback or the thing that I have there's black and red pages yeah. Uh, uh, that are solid. And I was like, well, why are they doing these blank pages? That doesn't, but that's where the ads would have been. Right. It's, it's, it's because, because a comic book has ads mm-hmm. and because it has double page spreads in order to have it all be in order, mm-hmm. there would be like spaces where you would traditionally have an ad. So in the trade paperback, what they decided to fix this by adding entirely new sets of artwork and, uh, special edition, and they, even to the point where they they eliminate uh, part of the plot that is relevant to just the trade paperback of Extinction Agenda in order to uh, kind of not have anything. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Which is an interesting choice. Um, but yeah, let's let's carry on. Uh, Couldn't stay aloft. Body felt turned to lead. Couldn't form wind to hold me. That's okay. I got you. I'm Jean Grey, and I can catch people. Yeah, apparently she got her concentration back, and now she can use her telekinesis to to get them to the ground. Stevie says, "How many times do I have to read you the riot act, Storm, before you listen? You want to be like those babies on the pro tennis tour? Champions one year, husbands the next, because they're still developing bodies. Couldn't hack the strain. This is not a game, Stevie. All the more reason to take care." All those kids risk as his career. You could lose your life. And then Cable's like, it's time for the new mutants workout. And he kicks down the door in this like quarter page spread thing that goes across pages. It's so awesome. <laughs> Cable's so awesome. He's got his gun. Like he's going to shoot everybody. <laughs> Get out of my danger room or I'm going to kill you is basically why, the why, pose he's got. Why does he need a gun for this? <laughs> It's because Jim Lee was like, oh, man, it's going to be so cool. And he's like, oh, well, that's weird. <laughs> Why do Cable I? Cable carries guns. So I'm going to, he's just always going to carry a gun. He's going to barge in and threaten everybody. And all the X-Men are going to be like, who are you? And why are you <laughs> waving a gun? Anyways, the new mutants are like, yeah, we're going to exercise now. And Banshee's My like, all right, My people know fine. their responsibilities, Banshee. They don't need any Mickey Mouse schedules. <laughs> I feel like that's how he says that. Really not 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 good for um cooperation there. Richter's like Inspector's got a ship, why don't you use their facilities? This is our home too, Richter. Cable's like nice way in a show and it letting the place get blown to bits. It's happened before, we'll rebuild again, you you lug. <laughs> they know each other, don't they? Didn't we establish that? Cable knows everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he he and Banshee knew each other. He knows M- Moira McTaggart. I don't know if he knows Forge. I don't know if that relationship Probably. was established. He was like, Forge, Cable, 
Now, boom, boom, boom does have a good point here. She's like, I guess when you come back from the dead, losing everything sort of loses its impact. It's kind of selfish, right, of the X-Men to, to try to play the game that they played. Yeah, I mean, and that's sort of a thing that yeah. is going to be uh, re-mentioned in the Uncanny X-Men issues of Extinction Agenda, and I feel like forgotten in the other issues, the New Mutants and X-Factor stuff. But it's consistent in the uh, Uncanny X-Men ones, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So... Like this, Irish. Somebody had to look after these kids, and none of you hotshots were around to take the job. Any objections? Uh, your points are well taken. You may you have to accept that the union is part of a greater whole. Like it or not, these facilities must be shared, says Storm. Just as we, Banshee, must concede, concede Cable's place as the new mutant's leader. We may not like his style, but we cannot deny what has he accomplished. What has he accomplished exactly? <laughs> Well, he's yeah, he's got the respect of the new mutants. He's got they've got some, uh, you know, coordinated outfits. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, when everybody left the new mutants, when the professor left the new mutants, when the X Men left the new mutants, when the when Magneto left the X Men, Cable was there to pick up the pieces. So yeah, Storm doesn't really have a leg to stand on if she, she if she wanted to push back on it, and she doesn't. No, she doesn't. She plays it smart. Like a leader would. Yeah, exactly. That was definitely a, a shot to establish that Storm has lost none of her leadership skills. So the next part is what you were talking about that they cut out. There's a whole page of Guido and uh, what's-his-face, uh, the producer guy, um, which was cut from the other trade paperback. And then the next page, which continues the story, was replaced with a picture of Cable being like, yeah, and stay out of my danger room. <laughs> Or I got like you. I got you. Your danger room. You better use it. Yeah. He gets mad at the new mutants. They're like, "Thanks, boss." And he, he's like, "Shut up and use the danger room." <laughs> yeah. But that's not. Uh, that's not canon. This is. Um, what's his face is looking for Dazzler, and Guido's like, "Dazzler ain't here. Get out." Her movie's the top of the charts. She can't walk out on that kind of success after all the work put into the project. She owes me, Freddie. But I Freddy, don't remember what Freddie's last name. name. Freddie, you was. What? His name is Freddie, you was. <laughs> Freddie, you was? Freddie, you was a nice kid before. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he. That was my, uh, that was my dad joke. Yeah. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. He um, insinuates that, like, you just, you just want some tail. That's <laughs> basically what, what he says. Fact is, the lady didn't want your help or ask for it, and you sure ain't suffering because of what you did, am I right? Italian suits, Italian cars, major production deals up the wazoo, sitting in the catbird seat, my man. Boasted to be pretty satisfied with that, with a fraction of that, but no, you got to have yourself a trophy, babe. It isn't, isn't like that. It, he uses my last name here, which is interesting. <laughs> don't, don't reveal that to all the fans. Now you're going to get stalkers. Oh, there you go. So they're in, in Extinction Agenda, buried is my last name. But um, go... You can win a prize of knowing that that saucy detail. Yeah, but he says, "Uh, you're you can't possess her anymore." That creep Eric Beale could, and we remember how that went. Yeah, he's terrible, he's crazy. Yeah. So he uh, he picks up the car. It picks yeah. He picks up the car, walks away, and and basically sends him on his way. And then there's a bright light, and he's like, oh, there can only be one thing. Lila Cheney's back in town. And I'm sorry. Here... You pronounced it wrong. 
Oh, sorry. Lila Chenet. Thank you. Uh, she is in her outfit from, uh, was the last issue? And uh, she says, terrible danger, Professor Charles Xavier, help, desperate need, X-Men. Was she in the X-Men spotlight Starjammers? I don't believe so, no. Was she in the last issue of X-Men? I believe so, yes, or the issue before that. Okay, I vaguely remember that. I just didn't remember She's in a recent issue of X-Men. Okay. Let's see what the internet says. Mm. Hey, internet. She was in, yes, the previous issue of X-Men. 269. Perfect. She was running around. She had the same outfit. We were commenting about how we like the polka dots. Yeah, yeah. Um, In... I don't know why they cut this out of... I mean, I guess I do know why they cut this out of the trade paperback. It's because it has nothing to do with Extinction Agenda. Yeah. If you but, want yourself a self-contained Extinction Agenda story, yeah. it makes sense to cut all this out. But when has comics ever been self-contained? I mean, it feels like what you want to do is you have this random thing in your story so that people are like, what's this about? i got to keep reading. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if um, early... Uh, if Extinction Agenda trade paperback was early in in uh, Marvel's trade paperbacks, in which they were like, "Oh man, we can't confuse the reader," maybe. Uh, anyways, this one doesn't do that. The one that I've got, but it does contain those panels, which is kind of neat. We uh, continue the story uh, at Harry's Hideaway, in which Jean and Storm are are eating some food and, and catching up in, in what does not look like a Jim Lee drawn panel. Um, you don't think so? I think it's just inked by Art T-Bear or not Scott Williams. Yeah. okay. Could be. It, it's not Weirdly, uh, Storm and Jean are wearing bomber jackets. Cool Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters bomber jackets. Yeah, well, you know, they're in the basement. Gifted children, not youngsters. They uh, they they ransacked the supply closet, and the professor had a whole bunch of swag, and they're like, oh, he's not around. I've always wanted one of these. So Storm is eating like a shawarma or a burrito? I'm going to guess that it is a jelly sandwich. Is it a jelly donut? <laughs> <laughs> no, just a jelly sandwich. Uh, or a burrito. And I feel... Remember how deftly Wolverine maneuvered you? Oh, no, it's Storm. Never mind. <laughs> I feel like Harry's hideaway would be like an Irish joint. I don't know why. Just based on like the decor, the sign that's outside, the lamp post. So maybe she's eating like a, a shepherd's pie that you can it's somehow like pick a, up with your hands. Like a fish and chips joint? Yeah, kind of. But it still doesn't explain what she's eating. It looks like on Jean's plate you've got like meat and vegetables. Which could be like a, I don't know, lamb. That's a Scottish thing, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know either. Not uh, too knowledgeable when it comes to cultural foods. And I don't know if this is a reference to an issue we read or just a reference to, you know, the X-Men would have at some point gone to this place to hang out. But Storm's like, remember how deftly Wolverine maneuvered you under Harry's mistletoe? Their little terror can kiss. I'll give him that. Verily, oh. the best that he is at what he does. I, Wolverine has kissed both of them at this point, hasn't he? Oh yeah, and well, Storm, uh, right as right before uh, Fall of the Mutants, grabbed Wolverine is like, "We'll be the best friends," or something like that. Or you lead the X Men. I gotta go to Africa, and she gives him a big smooch. Apparently, Wolverine's a good kisser. Everybody wants to kiss that Wolverine, <laughs> and then some. I don't know what that means. Saturday after, Scott and I went to the Rainbow Room and the Sentinels came for us. So that gives us a time slot, at least. 
I don't think this scene actually happened, but it's nice that they do put it in a place. Yeah, the what they're talking about there that Saturday af- that the Saturday after Scott and I went to the Rainbow Room and the Sentinels came from us was I felt like it was Christmas time, but it was definitely winter. Well, uh, yeah, it's got to be Christmas time because they're saying uh, yeah. under the mistletoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think that that was one of the first times we commented on there was an, actually a date that was written. It was like January 1st, 1981. And it was like... Isn't that also the that issue where we it was the first time we saw Wolverine outside of the cowl? Oh, I think I think you're right. I think it was. Yeah. Oh, good times. I guess he couldn't be in the cowl in order to kiss her. Well, he could be. Well, when he was in the cowl, he was 17. When he took the cowl off, he's like 40. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and then she goes on to talk about hardly no time. I was at the controls, saving all the X-Men in the space shuttle, and then it crashed. And then for me, that's when the lights went out and I woke up at the bottom of the ocean. But then Phoenix and Madeline Pryor, I've got their memories. Oh, man. <laughs> I tell you, Aurora, the harder we try to untangle this mess, the tighter it seems I'm tied to it. But listen to me. Natter, natter, natter. The <laughs> way I'm running on you'd think I was being paid by the word. Natter, natter, natter. Is she like a 80-year-old grandmother now? <laughs> yes. Natter, natter, natter. It's not as though I'm the only one trying to cope through some major changes. How does it feel to live through the wonder years again? And she's like, I hate Fred Savage. <laughs> so now we know that this is uh, when the wonder years was out. <laughs> no, the wonder, that, that's, a, that's a common term. You think so? I know so. I mean, you think this is a reference to a common term rather than uh, that show? I don't know about that. The The title, The Wonder Years, is definitely put, a they reference. They put it in quotes, so it feels like, I don't know. I, I don't know. The Wonder Years came on in 1988 to 1993. So this could be a reference to the show, but the show was a reference to a phrase. Um, well, yeah, I mean, The Wonder Years is a saying, but I'm just saying that this... I feel like this is a reference to the show. I disagree, Adam. The podcast is over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what is the wonder years then? It's just that just like it means childhood. I don't know. Yes. You don't even know. At least I know what the show is about. (laughs) Well, I remember what the show is about. Yes, it's about it's about being a kid and all the carefree things you do when you're a kid. And having an adult narrate your life. Yes. And and being a vaguely a ripoff of Stand By Me. It's set in the same sort of uh, vibe. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely inspired by, we'll say. Heavily inspired. Although, I guess, The Wonder Years takes place in the 60s, whereas Stand By Me takes place in the 50s? I think it's the Stand 50s, By Me yeah. is also sort of a horror-ish kind of thing. Yeah. Wonder Years is just every day in the life. Yeah. I think the template is there. But I, 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 you would be hard pressed to say that uh, the Wonder Years legitimately ripped off Stand by Me in anything other than the frame. Yeah, well, the framing device there of an adult narrating a, the, the child's life. And it's not like Stand by Me invented that. <laughs> um, uh, trivia or not trivia? Uh, uh, big news here. Um, ABC orders the Wonder Years reboot centered on a black family. Okay. <laughs> now the question is and i have no problem with that whatsoever uh and fred savage is actually doing the interview with brandy who i guess is on this on the show anyways my question here is 
Oh, interesting. So I was going to ask if you thought that this show would take place in like the 80s, because when when the Wonder Years came out, it was the 80s and the show took place in the 60s. Well, now it's the 2020s. So would the show take place in the 2000s? But they're showing they are showing a, uh, a 60s household here. So interesting, which which is would be very different stories, I would imagine, than than um, yeah. Kevin Arnold and Winnie Cooper. Hopefully still has some of that whimsy. But oh, don't know. I would like to see uh, because reboots are all in fashion. Uh, why don't they just do like the Wonder Years now and have Fred Savage as an adult? He's kind of creepy looking. Is he? No, I actually I have no idea what he looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But didn't he come back for like uh, that Deadpool movie? Yes, like the PG version he, he of Deadpool. Was, he was in the, the which was funny, very funny. Well, he reprised his role from the Princess Bride, essentially laying in bed sick. Well, so essentially, they're using the name "The Wonder Years" to draw in fans. Is Fred Savage producing it or something? Oh, I don't know. I closed that page. Let's say yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, they they keep talking on about all of their woes and troubles. Um, it's actually really good dialogue. There's a lot of the, the dialogue, and it's nice to see two friends reconnecting after so many years and so many crazy adventures, toasting each other over a glass of lemonade. However, outside, unbeknownst to them, the Genosians are plotting something. Positive identification on one prime target, Jean Grey, a.k.a. Marvel Girl, initial affiliation, X-Men, currently X-Factor. The official, the other superficially resembles Storm, but the age is all wrong. Daughter, maybe, or younger sister. And then a, a blonde-haired guy who kind of looks familiar, but can't quite picture who he is. There's no way that we know that it's Alex at this point. <laughs> what? Jeez. I mean, other than we saw him on the cover and there's a blonde There's no guy. reason that I should not spoil that. <laughs> she's right there. Fine. Alex is here for some reason. And he's like, doesn't matter. If she's one of Xavier's students. That makes her a fair game. And so uh, little Storm and, and older Gene are walking down the lane chatting. This woman next to Alex has the uh, Gambit fashion face mask. She does. I, do you think they shopped at the same place? Probably. Hey, this Storm uh, uh, Jean Grey conversation, it looks like it actually passes the Beckdale test. They start Except for by, the first part. They, they start, start by, by failing. talking about Wolverine and yep. Scott, but then they 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 talk about themselves and what's, what they're going through. The second page of their whole conversation, uh, I think, completely passes. Yep. Yeah, good call. Yay. <laughs> And so, yeah, they, they continue their conversation walking down this what looks like a autumn landscape, a lot of oranges and reds in the leaves and stuff, although I'm sure I think this is actually taking place in summer. But anyways, uh, Jean gets uh, in a hover car that she has. Well, there is a bit of a retcon here where they're – and it's kind of a continuing retcon where – uh, Jean is refers to herself as a founding member of the X-Men along with Professor Xavier and Moira McTaggart, mm. which I feel like is a classic X-Men thing that they sort of added in. Like Jean oh. becomes, Jean is the first student. Was that classic X-Men or was that like one of the X-Men origins? I don't know, but it's heavily implied that that's what's going on here. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't remember if the the revelation that Professor Xavier had started with Jean before the rest of the X-Men was in classic X-Men or somewhere else. And then the Moira thing, that probably was classic X-Men, but I don't remember. That's okay. They, 
When we first meet Moira, there's definitely the implication that the professor and she have known each other for a long time, which was cool at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like how Cable knows everybody. Uh, <laughs> they talk about how the professor's favorite book is The Once and Future King, um, but he always saw himself as Merlin showing the way. Have you ever wondered then who represents King Arthur? Like him, we cannot forever use our teacher as a crutch. I'm King Arthur! <laughs> Miss him, yes, but we have to fly by ourselves and learn to take the consequences, good or ill, for our actions. I missed you, Aurora. I'm glad you're not dead. <laughs> and I, you. Farewell. So they've made up. They're, they're past the whole, uh, you pretended to be dead and didn't tell anybody. Um, however, Wolfsbane's not. She shows up and she's like, oh, how nice. How come you don't care about Doug Ramsey? <laughs> really angry about doug ramsey storm's probably yeah. like what like did i he even... wasn't meant to be a part of this you know he drafted we drafted him into the new mutants this was before cable by the way because we knew of his mutant gift for languages and desperately needed someone to speak to warlock this seems like a bit of a rewrite of history but okay <laughs> did that actually happen i don't remember you read more new mutants than i did i feel like he was involved in a plot between um uh, Emma Frost's school, Xavier's school, right. Kitty was That's... involved in there. I, I don't remember if he was introduced before or after Warlock, and I don't remember when he officially became an, a, a new mutant. But I sure, we can go with this. I, I, do, I do realize that he was one of the only people who could communicate with Warlock at the beginning, but I don't feel like they brought him on for that. I don't remember. I think it's a little more nuanced than that with the whole Kitty pride and the M. Frost University stuff. Well, Rain is so filled with rage that she doesn't care. Don't you understand? Doug died. And for some reason, she's dumping all of this on Storm because it's all Storm's fault that... that um... Well, because Storm also just came back from the dead and she was upset about that. Mm. And so, you know, it's That's like, true. how come you can come back from the dead and Doug can't? You got better. What makes you X-Men so special and not Doug? I hate you, Storm. <laughs> I wish I'd have never heard of Professor Xavier's cursed school. I wished I'd never come here. And, and she walks right past Boom Boom, who on the next page says, was that Wolfbane you were talking to? <laughs> yeah. I, I, how does one not know this? Come on, Boom Boom. Are you on drugs? Definitely. Uh, but he's in a bikini and uh, for some reason... I guess, I guess yeah. There's a did. there's a lake out back, and and um, Richter's in some speedos. Warlock's playing frisbee with three frisbees. Stevie Hunter and Boom Boom all in bikinis. Can't imagine I would ever have a body that I would feel comfortable being in a speedo in. <laughs> when I was uh, eleven, I thought they were the coolest things ever, and I had a pair. <laughs> really? Yeah, but I was eleven <laughs> and skinny. You were uh, to school one day. Hey, everybody, check out my Speedo. We had nothing else, just my Speedo. No, I didn't. I wore it to swimming lessons, though. thought it was so cool. thought I could go faster with it. <laughs> and then I got no, older, I'm, and I was like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> there's some logic to that. I mean, you're more aerodynamic, I guess. They were tight, no drag, less material. Kid, you knew what you were talking about. Yeah. I'm going to be a car. Uh, yeah, so w Warlock sounds the alarm here, and that's when the Genosians show up on their uh, motorbike things. 
forecast imminent detonation in this vicinity of multiple concussion configured explosive projectiles and there's an explosion they all fly and then the little bikes come out and boom boom's like who are these guys preliminary superficial skin analysis marks three standard terrestrial hominid bioforms one male two female operating ultra performance wheeled ground assault vehicles let's get undercover uh storm is unconscious she is uh i think it, there's a a more giant vehicle like a it, it's like a mech that's like walking around the forest now and it's shooting at all of the all, all of these people and uh down oh yeah the uh the bikes uh all the bikes special, transform yeah they're they're their bike ability the uh the side things turn into legs and the um the wheels turn into the sack that i was talking about earlier that's so cool man Somebody had toys on their mind. I think somebody was probably playing with some Transformers. You know what would be I mean, cool? It was, a, it was a Marvel property. Why not? Sure, sure. Aren't there X-Men Transformers where it's like they they branded them together and they transform into vehicles or something like that? Yeah. I'm going to say yes because I think there are Transformer variants of just about everything. Yeah. Banshee's like, oh, it's the alarm. Forge is like, the kids are on the surface. They're under attack. Uh, Stevie Hunter's knee gives out. Remember, that was a thing because she was a dancer. Then her knee gave out. My knee of all the lousy stinking times for it to give out. But at least we've reached the hatch. Can't can't say the hatch without thinking of Lost. I never watched Lost, Adam. You should. It's a good show. I'm not going to watch it. Why not? Because. Okay. <laughs> Glad we had this talk. I I think that for me, I I do re- I had watched a couple of uh, sections of a few episodes when I used to regularly go to the YMCA, which was a long time ago when it was originally airing, and uh, I would watch it and I'd be like, "Hey, this show looks like it would be right up my alley," and then everybody would complain about like <laughs> things, and I was like, "Eh." Now that I know that. Uh, it what is it? It's like a dog's imagination or something like that. I'm like, yeah. Dogs? No, it's not a dog's imagination. I don't know. Ridiculous things that happen. The in, ending in... doesn't. The ending doesn't matter. <laughs> Everybody complains about the ending because it 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 had uh, another disappointing ending of a show, whatever. But it doesn't matter. Everybody wanted answers, and the show wasn't about answers. It was about asking questions. And if you're okay with that, you'll be okay with the ending. Yeah, well, I, I, I just there's uh, that's probably a, another show where every season is like twenty four episodes. I don't need that in my life. I think it was during the writer strike though. So somewhere around the fourth season, they start becoming sixteen episode things, and then I think the fifth season might be shorter. And mm. The last season was shorter, and they kept getting shorter and shorter seasons. So they go by like suddenly you get to the fourth season, then you're like done. Yeah, I'm good. It's a good show. I'm good. Was, uh, or you could just watch The Leftovers, which is I love three The Leftovers. Seasons. Well, there you go. It's the same people. Now nah, that show was great. Yes, yeah, so was Lost. I thought Lost was J.J. Abrams. J.J. Uh, Abrams produced, but what does that mean? I don't know. He produced Star Wars. What did that mean? Uh, bad. <laughs> Everybody on the <laughs> internet knows it's, that. It's the same people that made uh, Leftovers made Lost, essentially. Except mine is J.J. Abrams. I don't know. I feel like The Leftovers was... Well, I, I don't know because I never watched Lost. The Leftovers to me was much more succinct in its 
questions it asked that it never really gave answers to. And you also knew sort of going in that you were never really going to get answers to all these questions. Well, just a couple of questions. I think they learned their lessons having done Lost. They were like, okay, let's make it pretty clear we're not giving away these answers so that people don't get wrapped up in that. Yeah, and then they they didn't go out of their way to keep introducing more and more mysteries. It was just kind of like, how do these people cope with this crazy thing that's happened? And there's a little bit of supernatural element going on, and nobody quite knows what that means. And yeah, no, The Leftovers is a great show. Yep. I liked it a lot. I don't know if I I could rewatch it, though. I own it on, well, I own the first two seasons on Blu-ray or whatever. Um, so I probably will rewatch it one day. But man, that first season is depressing. Yeah, the next two seasons are, I don't know that any of them can be called upbeat, but certainly more upbeat than the first season. Season two is fantastic. I don't remember season two. That's the one I remember the least. That is the one that I feel like is the well, that's, best that's, crafted. I take it back. I remember that. That's where... Uh, uh, they go to Hope, Colorado, or, or wherever, yeah, and uh, they go. and they meet um, uh, the black family. Uh, whoever that actor was, I thought was great. The father, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah that was a good season. Well, there's three; they're they're all good. Yeah. And they ended. They're like, you know what? We're done. <laughs> Which is great. And and they wanted to do that with Lost, apparently, but the uh, studio got involved and said, no, you got it. You got this many episodes. Hmm. And they had to negotiate to get a certain number of episodes left. Well, so cable and Banshee and the rest are trying to, or I guess heading they're they're they're, am, they're getting their guns. They've hit the armory. They're getting ready to figure out what's going up on the surface. Get but I thought to... cable always had guns. In fact, he's got a gun in this. He's got two guns in this panel. Well, Banshee and, and cable or forge don't have guns, which is weird because normally when the X-Men go into battle, the first thing they do is not go and grab guns. So a little out of character, but whatever. Cable, Cable is grabbing another gun. He's not happy with the gun, the two guns he has on the first panel. He needs to grab a third gun. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so boom, boom, she throws out some time bombs. Richter throws out a earthquake. Storm comes to uh, regains consciousness, recognizes the uniforms uh, as Genosian magistrates. They're on U.S. soil. They wouldn't dare. I would be remiss in not pointing out that this is a classic Jim Lee fighting in your swimsuits battle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Boom Boom is barefoot, and so is so yeah. is Richter. I mean, they'd be like, ooh, ow, my feet. You, you <laughs> can't very... stand on a rock barefoot like that and pull off those acrobatic moves. But it doesn't matter because it looks cool. The motorcycle that transforms, it looks like it's stomping, like its foot is in the air. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's kind of comical. It's dumb i'm gonna get you so storm's like new mutants walking is much faster than motorcycles (laughs) well they're uneven terrain you know they now they can't drive they gotta they gotta walk and shoot because i feel like somebody thought they were gonna sell toys there's no other reason why you'd have this crazy vehicle i think it's that somebody was playing with toys and was like we'll do this cool thing or I feel like somebody was reading G.I. Joe, too. Or maybe they were watching like, Robotech, and they're like, you know what would be neat? Transforming vehicles. This whole Extinction Agenda thing just reminds me of, like, the invasion of Cobra Island. Oh. You had, like, Serpentor and Cobra Commander and the Joes all on the same island and stuff, and it was really cool. I feel like somebody was reading that, and they were like, we're going to do that, but with the X-Men. Sure. That's what I feel. Anyway, Storm's awake now. 
And uh, she wants. She says those are these are Genosian magistrates operating on United States soil. They wouldn't dare. I already said that. She answers herself. They have done it before. (laughs) Well, I think uh, uh, Stevie Hunter says operating on United States soil. They wouldn't dare. Oh yeah, you're right. There's a little uh, thing there that I missed. Anyway, she's like, uh, we got to hide underground. Boom Boom's like, why? We've pretty much got this one. Richter's choking out one of the magistrates. Besides, we don't take orders from X-Men. Yeah. Yep, so this is really Boom Boom's fault, I think. <laughs> this whole Extinction Agenda is Boom Boom's fault. Um, the girl here who's like, fatal mistake, Gene joke, should have scampered while you had the chance. I don't know if it's possible, but she looks like one of the magistrates from the earlier run of Genotians. Probably. One of the one of the girls that had a hand at, at disturbing Rogue. Yeah, she was one of the lead ones. Yeah, that was like, look at her who, in there. Who stood up for the, the two people that uh, physically abused Rogue. Right. Rogue. Yeah. Rogue. So now um, we get a, like, a, like a, I don't know what you want to call this, but it's like three quarters of two page spread. I mean, it's getting crazy. I feel like uh, this becomes a thing in Extinction Agenda because they're like, oh, my God, we got like four pages left to do. Another spread. <laughs> what is happening here? There's three guys behind a giant robot who is also another guy somehow. <laughs> but clearly, oh, yeah. like, not because he must be controlling all the, like, like his arms don't go that far. So he must be, like, having remote controls he's inside a, his little body there. He's a Jaeger, but in a, in, like, a micro... What were those things called? Robot? Didn't you see Pacific Rim? I never did. No? I have no interest. Oh? All right, then. Godzilla versus Kong. I I wouldn't... Not in the same... Totally different. Well, I'm assuming that the the, uh, Pacific Rim universe is sort of patterned after that whole kaiju universe from Japan. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. That's just a guess. Totally. Did you ever watch... uh, What's it called? Uh, Neon Genesis. Uh, it's the one anime everybody's seen. Uh, <laughs> Akira? No. It's a show. Um, why can't I remember the Evangelion? Oh, I've heard of it. Okay. Well, then never mind. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Pacific Rim is basically like a movie version, in my opinion, of Evangelion. But okay. Evangelion is far better because it's... Of course. It's... Uh, single series yeah, anime yeah. with a couple of movies uh, and, and dives into a lot of psychology and stuff. But then there's big robots punching uh, Kaiju and in Pacific Rim, which was a fun jaunt. Uh, you only get like, you know, 95 minutes to go through that whole thing. All of those Kaiju films, uh, well, most of them had the right amount of monster to humans. The humans were never like main characters either, which was kind of nice. And, all we want to see is the fighting, and they do a good. It's a good balance in those. Neon Genesis uh, Evangelion's a very character driven, but it's definitely a, a split of human character development, and then uh, lots of cool robots beating up cool space alien kaiju. Sounds good. The Godzilla Kong stuff. You really just waiting for Kong and Godzilla to beat something up, or each other up. Yeah. I mean, or sink a battleship or whatever happened in that movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Blow, blow human stuff up. Yeah. I liked the movie. It was okay. That's for another day. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, yeah, the, he's, it's a, it's a robot man in, in like a, like an exo suit. But, but as Adam said, 
there's no way that he is controlling the arms directly. So he's in like a, I, I'm going to guess he's in like a micro suit below and wherever he's got enough room to move all of his arms around. But those are <laughs> attached to mechanisms that actually control the larger arms. And then you've got two people that are like riding on his back, which I feel like is a G.I. Joe thing. Like this is a vehicle totally. and there's like two pegs behind his back where you can attach two more characters. But neither of them have their feet on the ground, so it's like they're holding onto his back. It seems very uncomfortable. You can't see his back, and what you're not seeing is the little platform that they're standing on. Well, you see one of their the, the Wait, one of their feet. Yeah, he's they're, jumping, they're floating up. in the air. No, he's jumping up onto the platform. He's got his other no. foot on the platform. No, right. no, both of his feet are in the air. Are they? Yeah, I don't see his other foot. But I'll take your word for it. They're on the left and right of the guy that's running behind oh, them. Oh, I also, thought... It's like he's straight out of G.I. Joe. Yeah, okay. I thought, based on how this is colored and drawn, that that was that man's arm. And he was reaching up to climb onto the back of this. <laughs> but yeah, that's a leg because his arm continues to go... Yeah, this is, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got all of these guys uh, in front that are by like another exosuit and some flying ships. And everybody's in the same uniform... Um, they got like little antennas and, and red goggles. Um, it's the uniforms. Cool. I like the uniforms. Yeah, it, I like the green, the dark green, the red. It's, it's very, um, uh, like Cobra trooper esque. That's what I like about it. Now you don't probably have this in front of you, but if you go earlier in, in like X-Men, when the, when the X-Men first met the Genosians, they just were like a military outfit. They had like headphones and just green uniforms and guns. These guys are like, like, like Gen Two Genosians. Well, between now and then, or then and now, uh, they they got a Forge style mutate oh. who has been developing all new ordnance for them. Sure. Or Tony Stark's been developing all their tech. I want to point out one thing that we skipped over. I think let's see, see if I can find it. Um. Maybe it didn't happen yet. Okay, uh, a couple pages ago, one of them on the bike said, Remember, our primary objective is the access hatch to their underground complex. Oh. Which leads to us getting to the hatch. Ah, uh, yes, there it is. Storm puts uh, Stevie Hunter down the hatch. And oh, that's, that that's right after this big spread we're talking about, yeah. And then she, um, she casts... The- lightning on it you don't really see it though it just explodes it, the lock scrambled the hatch is sealed i don't know that we do see her i mean she seals the hatch for sure because she says she does but i don't think she does lightning on it and and this is very confusing because this goes on for the next two issues yeah and I, we will check ourselves in the next episode but i feel like everyone's like why did you use lightning on it Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and even Storm at some point is like, why did I use lightning on it? But I think that slowly changes to, uh, well, we see we see someone using self-generated energy plasma to blast his way through the troops. It's impossible. How can it be? But I know that power signature. It's havoc. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, Stevie is thrown down the hatch, as you mentioned, and she lands on Cable. Cable's like, out of my way, woman. Uh, and then, then, yeah, the the hatch is locked. The or the lock scrambled. The hatch is sealed, and and it explodes behind her. I'm assuming, but that you know, with all the chaos happening here, um, it I could, think it will later be revealed that Havoc like shot it. 
Oh. Whether on purpose or accidentally, I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, stay tuned. But they definitely, it's a lot of blaming of Storm for, for that hatch. And Storm also, you know, takes the blame for locking it, too. So That, it's, that, that it's, hatch becomes like a main character. It basically does, yes. <laughs> as, as all hatches should, as we found out in Lost. Yeah. So here, here's uh, Cable. This is the original hatch. <laughs> Cable's like, of all the stupid brainless stunts, the hatch is fused shut. Storm's trapped my kids on the surface. And herself with him, Cable, says Forge. Uh, this is a thing that I like, and, and we'll flesh this out as we go along in the story, but there's this idea, like, one faction, I guess, of the, the mutants are like, Storm's an idiot because she locked us out. But the other side is like, yeah, Storm locked us out so they couldn't get us, and she's with the kids, so you have nothing to worry about. There's hope. And I kind of like that aspect of the story, but it, it plays out kind of in a silly way throughout the next couple of issues. It's the next couple of issues that kind of screw it up. <laughs> it's like Chris Claremont was planting some seeds here yeah. and Louise Simonson was just like, whatever. I, she's like, I hate working with this kid. <laughs> whatever you want to do. Like I just always had some words. I got three more issues and I'm out of here. Well, I, I feel like a lot of Extinction Agenda is less Chris Claremont's baby and more Louise Simonson's baby. Really? In that she's wrapping stuff up. Okay. And I got that. I've only read the first three issues of, of Extinction Agenda this this time. Um, and that's just what I got from this. Well, I mean, unsurprisingly, I feel like this of the three issues we'll cover, this is the strongest. Uh, the next two are the I, weakest. And I don't know if that continues. I feel like that's probably consistent will. Yeah. through all nine of them. But again, I mean, we'll see. So they, they're now they're trying to get out. Um, Meanwhile, there's more than one A out of here. We'll take the exit uh, via the lake. That's the fastest route. Uh, this is silly. You got Banshee is flying with Cable on his back, and Cannonball is flying with Forge on his back. It's silly, but it's awesome. Yeah, and Gambit's running. Gambit and uh, Sunspot. Yeah, uh, G- Gambit is, has got Stevie Hunter and is following Sunspot. Yeah. Gambit hasn't said a thing yet. Cable's like, if any of mine are hurt because of Storm. I can't believe Miss Aurora act without good reason. See, and that's that's the key right there. Count on it, Cannonball. Yeah, that's this is actually, despite the goofiness that's occurring with these people riding on the back, it's actually it's, it's a solid panel. It's cool. Yeah, silly but cool. Does that mean some of the best cool things are silly? Yeah. Storm uh, manipulates using the wind one of Boom Boom's time bombs to her own effect where she uh she hits alex essentially and discovers oh my gosh it's havoc but how but could how it... could an x-men come to willingly serve our deadliest enemies what have these fiends done to him and boom boom in four needless pa- uh, uh dialogue b- balloons here says hey no fair swiping my thunder use your own powers okay or at least ask my permission first unnecessary well to be fair had uh storm not swiped her bomb what happens next might not have happened uh she she's throwing a time bomb at one of those exo suits her and richter get strung up by like one of these hover bike things so i i think they're not Uh, what i will say though is uh that would have been a better then (laughs) yeah uh uh it's a really good drawing boom boom uh, which one? The the one where she's complaining, like just yeah. the facial detail, the hair, um, one eye closed. Yeah, it's it's just it's top notch Jim Lee 
uh, character right there. Uh, so they, yeah, they get tangled up by one of the Genosians flying around in a little Verda bird flying car. And Storm... Because they got flying cars now, too. Storm <laughs> picks up a machine gun. I like this panel, too. And just starts firing at, at all of the, the Genosians. Warlock, above you, grab that sky cycle and drain its power pack to bring it down. Take care not to hurt your teammates. It is you a got little, it, dude. It's a little strange that... She sees Havoc. Havoc is now, like, unconscious, essentially. And then the next time we see her, she's firing this machine gun at the Genosians and not, you know, trying to get Havoc to safety or... Where'd she get the gun? Was it was Havoc carrying it? I don't know where she got the gun. I don't know where Havoc has gone. But now Let's she's holding a gun and Havoc is gone. Whatever Havoc was in had a gun. Sure. And Havoc is behind her. Um the uh, pipeline pipes them back out. Target digitized. Cycle completed. So Boom Boom, Richter, and Warlock are all pipelined. Um, well, Warlock... Rain freaks out. Warlock, you spellings! You killed him! Warlock like essentially explodes. Yeah. Looks like he's dead. But Storm says, Not so, Wolfsbane. Stay by me. They have merely teleported him to their homeland! Just the same gene jokes as we plan to do with you. Doesn't sit well with me, Tam. Tacking kids. Orders are orders, Alex. See, there's Alex. Yep. Status. Prisoners are secure. secure. Location secure. Minimal casualties. Oh, they only beamed uh, Warlock to the, uh, to, to Matt, wherever, Genosha. Because uh, Boom Boom and Richter are still there. Yeah. In well, catch- Warlock was causing the most damage at this point. So they yeah, it makes sense. pipelined him out and we'll find out what other plans are in store for him later. Then pipeline says we got what we came for. Best be satisfied with that. But I'm like, wait, how many pages ago was it when you said our primary goal <laughs> was to access to get the, the exact access hatch to their underground complex. And then I was like, that was just a misleading plot thread to, mm. uh, trip to, to make us make the hatch a big deal. Hmm. It, that that was he. They said that for the audience's benefit, which is shame on you, Chris Claremont. Shame on you. Bad hmm. story. The greater the problem, we got what we came for. Best be said. And now that we came, we we got what we came for. Could mean a number of things. Um, it could mean warlock. It could mean these kids. It could mean some negotiating power. But you're right. Uh, this is not what they said earlier when they wanted to get to the hatch. Although maybe when they wanted to get to the hatch, they thought all these people were underground and that's why they wanted to get to the hatch. Maybe. I mean, it'd be nice if there was an explanation or, or if uh, maybe that just that guy didn't know what he was talking about. Also, I thought pipeline was older for some reason. He's the modem he's, guy, right? Yeah. He's youngish. He's okay. just got longer hair now. He's got his backwards cap. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So seconds later, uh, the rest of the mutants that were underground get above ground, and they're like, where is everybody? The only thing no laying blood. around here is the kids' clothes. No blood, no bodies, theirs or ours. I don't know who did this. Indian, says Cable to Forge. Uh, Forge. <laughs> it's kind of not, I don't know. It's, it's is not, is that appropriate? I'm not yeah. sure if that's appropriate or not. Well, he's when technically, find out, he's not an Indian. He's not from India, Adam. He's a Native American. It's a Cheyenne. So you should be like, I don't know who did this Cheyenne yet. 
Well, I find or you out. could just say forge. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that would be probably the most appropriate thing to say. When I find out you got my word, the people responsible are going to wish they'd never been born. Oh my gosh, part two of Extinction Agenda follows in New Mutants number 95, but in 30 days, it's Wolvie's turn. Wolvie's yeah, man. turn. Wolvie's turn. I'm talking about Wolvie's turn. And I remember that cover, 271, with Wolverine fighting Cameron Hodge. <gasps> Spoilers. We already said that Cameron Hodge was in it. <laughs> we don't know anything about Cameron Hodge yet. So, well, I can. Enough. I'll tell you one thing. I'll spoil one thing. No artist can agree on what Cameron Hodge should look like. Yeah, that is definitely true. Um, but I'll, I think Jim Lee has got the best rendition. Although uh, the one that's, that's, that's featured across in, the board in X Factor, uh, I think, is pretty awesome. Uh, so I can't wait to talk about about that. Nothing with else the, is awesome with the thing in front of the thing. Oh my gosh! It's just like wires, and tentacles everywhere. Anyways. Yeah, like- uh, yeah, and then the uh, the hardbound here has the second print gold cover um, also featured for some reason. Because I think they did... Because um, it the second printing for some, and they thought it was cool? Well, I just don't know why they in- included it in this collection. But Strangely, New Mutants one doesn't go into second printing, but the X-Factor one does. Yeah. You would think it would be the other way around. I thought... I saw a second printing of that New Mutants in the back, but I might be wrong. Especially given the events of what happens in the New Mutants issue. Right? No, there is in the back. There is? It's just in the back for some reason? Yeah, it's not with the rest of the... Maybe it would have ruined the page breaking. Yeah, probably. The third or fourth to last in the trade paperback. New Mutants number 95 second printing cover. Gold foiled. Well, there you go. That was the first chapter of Extinction Agenda. Yeah. Action packed. Next time for the next chapter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You better. Yeah. Oh, man. There's going to be trouble. Well, so there you go. Uh, anything else? You, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I don't even know how to do this anymore. It's been so long. Um, we don't yeah, have. Any... We, we probably took. We should let everybody know we took off. Maybe what two or three weeks? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're all rusty. Not that you'll this. notice, but uh, yeah, well, that's why we're so rusty this episode. But I, I can tell you that if you would like to tell us how you felt when you read Extinction Agenda or what extreme beverage you were drinking. See, I went with uh, wild cherry Pepsi, but in the back of my mind, I was trying to grab Sharkleberry Finn. <laughs> so I was like, that's pretty 90s. What were all those like Kool-Aids that were out? I feel like Sharkleberry Finn and, and Ecto Cooler. Okay. okay, so that's that's when, that's why I'm connecting what you said with Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid yeah, I'm sure there was more than Sharkleberry Finn, but that's the one that sticks out of my head. I never drank any of them either. My parents wouldn't let me have that stuff. Mine either. So, but yeah, uh, uh, what what's going on, everybody? 
Tell us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go. Email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes, leave us some feedback, some uh, uh, some stars, or subscribe to us there. Uh, or go out to patreon.com forward slash Danger Room, where we talk about Dawn of X and other new X-Men things, uh, as well as other sort of pop culture movie stuff. I'm sure we've talked about Lost there in some Probably. fashion. Uh, and our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. And unlike most episodes, this is it. We don't have any backup content. Yeah, I mean, we do the backup content separately now as separate episodes. So that's that's the thing now. So cool. Nothing like changing formats 10 years in. Also, I guess a note on the Patreon thing. I guess the pandemic's over. I don't know. So maybe don't be surprised if we start putting up a paywall for those those patreon episodes so get them where they're hot yeah it, it, uh, by the time you hear this episode the paywall will probably already be up because this is like four weeks out yeah so get your dollar ready yeah <laughs> get your dollar ready <laughs> for that red hot guy we, we got a lot of fun patreon stuff coming up too Ooh, so much fun don't you you might even want to spend two dollars what were the movies we challenged each other to watch that, that have probably already aired on the pa- Patreon? Uh, Jesus Shows You the Way to Shave. <laughs> Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway, and you asked me to watch Coherence. Oh, which yeah, I yeah. Haven't I haven't watched my movie yet either. But those are some of the things that you can you can hear on the Patreon edition is two nobodies from different parts of the country talking about movies you've not watched, probably. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Maybe that should be the name of our next podcast. That's a great name. (laughs) I I have already forgotten it. (laughs) All right. It's a good thing we recorded that then. Oh, yeah. Uh, Until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. (laughs) 